Welcome to another installment of The Road We Travel, a presentation of Drive Smart Virginia. Our guest in this installment is Nicholas Worrell. He is the uh, Chief of the Office of Safety Advocacy for the National Transportation Safety Board. And this can't be right, Nick. I see that you were, you've been with the NTSB for 27 years. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. I didn't think you were that old. Uh, maybe I'm not that old. I just started young. <laughs> what's your, uh, well, for those folks who haven't met you, Nick, what's your background? I know you were in the Marines for, for a while. Tell me your story. How did you end up at the NTSB at such a tender young age? Um, well, I started out my journey how I ended up at, at going to college in California. Uh, I, I'm originally from Barbados and I uh, migrated to uh, Brooklyn, New York with my parent, my mother in 1986. And then uh, I wasn't a big fan of New York city and somewhere down the journey, I decided I wanted to head out to head out West where the weather was more like Barbados type weather. Um, and following that, once I got to California, I realized that I didn't have enough money to complete my education. So I had to figure out a way. And one of those ways that I utilized and uh, means to an end was to join the Marines, uh, get some money so I can accomplish my education. So following that, um, there was a program at the college that I was attending called the American Studies Program that um, picked about 30 students every semester in in the field of political science to come here in Washington, D.C. for a semester. Um, and most of those students were government affairs students or political studies students who wanted to work on Capitol Hill. And that that's where I wanted to go. But Capitol Hill, all of the positions there were filled. And I ended up, um, Steve Blackenstone, who knew uh, from NTSB, he was in the government affairs at NTSB, who knew someone um, from the program, the director of the program asked him if he won't mind taking me at NTSB. And that's how I ended up being there. Was it like an intern spot at first? Yeah. Yeah. I started out as a, a non-paid intern through this program, um, for six months, um, for four or five months at NTSB. And then following that, um, it's funny you asked about that because last week I, um, we had our annual award ceremony and I, and I received, the uh, Chairman's Award, which is the highest award at um, at N- uh, NTSB, uh, it's called the Chairman's Award, and I received that award. One of the things that they asked me about is, again, is uh, that I mentioned is that I did not have citizenship at the time, and I actually um, I actually had to go through NTSB to get my citizenship so I can uh, so I can actually work there for the agency. So following that six months, the NTSB asked me to stay on. And of course, I was willing to, but then I had to do a hustle up to get my citizenship to be uh, so I can work with the federal government. And the journeys it, it, and the journey continued from there. Well, you've certainly done a great job over there. And I've known you since you've been with Safety Advocacy and you are a nonstop, yes. you know, a voice for traffic safety. And we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's a pleasure working with you all, too. I think most people think of the NTSB when they see, you know, blue windbreakers with NTSB on the back of them uh, on people who are at the scene of a, well, a tragedy, you know, like a an aircraft crash or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the NTSB does a lot more than that. Can you kind of, in a nutshell, describe the NTSB's function? 
well, our, our mission is to investigate crashes, accidents, normal modes of transportation. We find a probable cause and we issue recommendations to prevent it from happening again. So oftentimes when I give a presentation on advocacy or NTSB, I sort of lay it out this way. You have the investigation, the investigative portion of all work, which is takes approximately six months to a year to complete on a crash or accident investigation in whatever whatever mode, um, which is the preliminary stage, the fact finding stage, and if it's a major crash, then it goes before the board for the, the uh, under the Sunshine Act for deliber- deliberation. At that Sunshine meeting, then they would issue recommendations. Those recommendations to goes to a wide body, whether it's industry, whether it's private, whether it's state, we issue several recommendations um, over our tenure at um, uh, over our history. And those recommendations can fan out as a result of what we found um, in that crash or accident investigation for the sole purpose of improving and making better transportation safety for the traveling public. Now, we are not a regulatory agency. We often get confused uh, between DOT, Department of Transportation, and NTSB. Many people see me and say, oh, you work for DOT. No, N- NTSB is an independent federal agency. Uh, we answer directly to the Congress and to the president. And there's a reason for that in, in uh, independence so that we will not be biased in our accident or crash investigation. Um, so once that is complete, once we complete a crash investigation, as I stated, we issue those recommendations. And um, outside of once those recommendations are issued, the, the recipients don't have to act on those recommendations. They don't necessarily. We are not a regulatory organization. We can't slap you on the wrist and tell you you have to. But we encourage you to do so. So then what? that's where my job comes in. That's where... Other people's job, like my re- the recommendation department at NTSB. So you have the investigation, you have the issuance of recommendations. But if we stop there, if we stop at the issue of recommendation, if we stop at the boardroom where we deliberate a crash or investigation, the work is not yet done because we can issue recommendations all day long. And that doesn't mean that safety is improved. That doesn't mean that um, distraction or distracted driving laws are on the books. That doesn't mean that there's good educational factors. So that's where advocacy comes in. It's such an important role of the agency. And recently, our new chairman, Chair Hamidi, uh, made the advocacy role as a part of our mission, recognizing the importance of effective advocacy following the crash or accident investigation, the issue of the recommendations, where we get on the boots. I call it boots on the ground in the trenches and out there hitting the ground and trying to convince people, if you act on these recommendations, you will save lives. So, for instance, um, maybe you would recommend that there be a federal seatbelt requirement. Um, And that would be up to the House and Senate, and, you know, they would determine whether to act on that or not. Exactly. That's simplifying, because, of course, it would probably go to a committee first and all that stuff. But Right. So basically, you, yeah. you recommend that's, the best course of action, and whether or not the interested parties take that course is up to them. Yes. Let's localize it a little bit. Let's okay. take, for example, the NTSB call for a ban on all portable electronic devices while driving. That recommendation went to all 50 states. 
Has any state enacted that recommendation as yet? No. No. <laughs> but do you do you still see us out there pounding the ground with people like Dwight Smart Virginia and other people to make sure that laws are in the books and make sure that uh, awareness is being raised about the, the perils around uh, distracted driving crashes? We are. Although that recommendation has not uh, been implemented by any state yet, don't mean that we are not working to get it there. We are constantly working. Now, again, the state don't have to act on it. And that's why we work with people like Dry Smart Virginia, AAA, and all of these various advocacy, third-party advocates to really push the message about what we think is good and right um, as it relates to that recommendation. And with hand, you know, handheld phone use while driving and not buckling up, the, the not buckling up thing is ever since I've been doing this, which is about seven years, just astonishes me that here in Virginia, there's you know, between 15 and 20 percent of drivers don't buckle up. And it's it's a really intransigent number of group, you know, that that just don't seem to respond well to a message of, you know, thou shalt not drive without your seatbelt on. So we've changed up like, well, this month is occupant protection month and we're doing mm-hmm. um, kind of a, a piggyback off of Virginia's for lovers. The message is more buckle up for the people who love you. And kind of the, mm. the unstated yep. thing is if you won't do it for yourself, do it for them, you know, trying a different approach. And Hopefully that, you know, that seems to be working. People get the message, but it really is kind of a tough nut to to crack. Um, Virginia does not have a primary seatbelt law for adults, driver, passenger in the front seat. Uh, It does protect younger passengers in vehicles, but it it doesn't do anything to mandate that uh, drivers and adult passengers be belted as a primary law. It's on the books, but a police officer would have to stop you for something else. So that uh, that's what the NTSB does, which is investigate crashes and incidents, and then based on what you learn, make recommendations to the interested parties on uh, what improvements or changes could be made to prevent such problems in the future. Is that fair? Yes, sir. And then we advocate that third right. piece of the pu- puzzle. And part of that, every year... Uh, the NTSB prepares a most wanted list, and uh, mm-hmm. this—how would you, you know, how would you describe the most wanted list? Is—is is this the top priorities for the NTSB of things that they'd like to get through? Is this a blue sky list of kind of like, gee, we wish all these things would happen? What's the purpose of the most wanted list, and what's on it? Well, it, the most wanted list was created in 1990. Um, and, and it was created as a tool, a tool to raise awareness about some of those, some of those very, um, some of those very recommendations that we had, um, that we had concerns about. All right. So it was created as a tool and a communication tactic to get to some of those recommendations, to talk about some of those recommendations that were out there. And that was that was one of the key purposes of it. Now, the, it is we consider it as one of the agency's communication strategy to focus our limited advocacy resources on the issues where we where we see have the potential to make the greatest impact to prevent ashes, accidents and crashes, reduce injuries and save life lives. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Really and truly in that time frame, the, the strength of all efforts is centered on, on our role um, as an independent safety agency, which makes us um, kind of well positioned. We're working with other advocacy partners like yourself to raise awareness, stimulate conversation, and challenge decisions make makers to act on NTSB recommendations. So, in a nutshell, that's really what it what um, that that's 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 what it is. And so, every it used to be just just the um, it used to be every year that we uh, do a bout of the uh, round of the most wanted list, but we have um, we have since we have since changed that. To go um, to move to a two-year cycle of the most wanted list, um, and we just can't change that um, to, for the sake of changing it because a lot of things and pieces are tied to the most wanted list. It has to be an uh, internal board approval to change it. So a couple of years back, we changed it to a two-year cycle because we wanted more time. We found that every year we was turning around so quickly and, and starting when we finish one list, we'll back into the second list. So we wanted to give more time for the advocacy team and the collaboration with partners to advocate for the most wanted list. Uh, and we found it at work. And just as recent as this year, we have now pushed it to a three year cycle, um, which gives us good time to really see some actionable steps to move the needle on some of these issues that are on the list. As you can tell, it's sometimes really difficult to really see uh, action on our recommendations. Sometimes it may take years. I know of recommendations that maybe take almost 50 years, um, positive train control, for example, to be implemented. So the board collaborates. It takes almost, what people don't know, it takes us almost a year to complete our planning or uh, research, planning, execution, and evaluation of the most wanted list to get us where we want to be. You know, so it's a lot of internal planning before you see it roll out. Uh, and it's a multimodal list to let you know, uh, Rich. It's not a list just with highway safety, although we see most of the fatalities are in the highway area. For example, this year's list, um, you have things like um, require the, um, and verify effectiveness of safety management system and revenue passenger carrying aviation, install crash resistant recorders and establish flight data monitoring program. Um, for the marine side of things, there want, there's one item, improve passenger and fishing vessel safety. Then we have pipeline railroad and hazardous material, which improve pipeline leak detection and mitigation, improve railway, railway work, worker safety. But we have five issues targeted at the at the highway safety area because, as you know, Rich, we are seeing over 36,000 lives lost, and the uptick is still there um, as predicted. So mm -hmm. we have implement uh, a comprehensive strategy to eliminate speeding-related crashes, protect vulnerable road users through the safe system approach, prevent alcohol and other drug uh, drug impaired drivers. Um, require collision avoidance and connected vehicle technology in all vehicles, and then eliminate distracted driving. So that's the list. It's typically around 10. We would like it to be less, <laughs> five preferred if we can, but yeah. we understand that there are a lot of issues that need our attention. Are there items that repeatedly show up on the, the most wanted list year after year? Yes, indeed. Um, most of these items appear. Eliminate distraction, for example, has been on there maybe about for seven years uh, because the problem is still existing. 
although they go on the list, when it, the cycle comes around, we can't just decide to take it off when the problem still exists. Um, and, and for all of these issues, you know, um, you might see them cycle around every two years, every three years. Now they get back, they're back on the list, unless we see some kind of measurable action where we say, okay, um, you know, this is, we can, we can, okay, take this off the list right now and, and give it some other attention elsewhere. So yes, to answer your question. So the list, I, you know, that, that kind of makes me think of the list as a permanent document that changes. You know, things are added, things are tweaked, things are taken off the list if they improve. But the list isn't, you know, like a new list every two or three years. It's just updated. Well, we consider, yeah, it's sort of updated, but we consider it new because it's the new most wanted. But it's updated. Now, granted, there can be issues, emerging issues. There might be an issue that we didn't we never really touched on as a result of one of our crash investigations where there's an impact on the traveling public that might go on this list that we have never seen on there before. So, if, you yeah. know, like something, for instance, like some uh, partially autonomous vehicle or something had a glitch in its software, yeah. that would be something that you would right, need to right. address. You know, you, you can't wait around exactly. two or three years to address that. Right, right. So if there's something that we need is urgent or need to be in addressed immediately, there are loopholes within the development of the most wanted list where the board members or leadership can um, recommend adding an uh, item on the list. The current list, did that come out this year? Yes, April, that came out last year. April 6th last year, we launched that. Um, we're going in now to our second year of that list. Um, what are, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I was just going to ask, what are the, the highway safety issues that are on the current list that we could talk about? Right. And I just mentioned those five to you. Uh, implement a comprehensive strategy for speed and related crashes. Uh, protect vulnerable road users through the, a safe system approach. Prevent alcohol and other drug and peer driving. Require collision avoidance and connected vehicle technologies on all vehicles and eliminate distracted driving. That sounds like our list. <laughs> that's 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 pretty much it. You know, um, when COVID restrictions went into place, vehicle miles traveled went down for well, went mm -hmm. went way down the first year. Uh, came back up a little bit the next year, but still, I think we're still below normal vehicle miles traveled compared to other years in the you know in the past. Uh, but fatalities went up. Indeed. D does the NTSB have a take on? On why that? I mean, usually, obviously, when vehicle miles traveled go down, you know, less people traveling, it's less traffic volume, to put it simply. Uh, you would expect there to be fewer fatalities, but that's not the case. Does the NTSB have any uh, any idea what was going on? Well, one of the big contributors of that as well, with, let's talk about speeding, for example, we saw more speeding speed and related crashes during that time frame holistically. If you look at the reports from NHTSA, uh, National Safety Council, and other, uh, other places, uh, one, people were a little more reckless in their driving because wider roads were clearer, mm -hmm. right? Um, there was a great deal of more speeding, and, and you can attest to that as well on the roads. Well, we were um, seeing the state police post on social media speeding tickets well over 100 miles an hour, and they were, you know, it's like every week. They'd put up a picture of a, a speeding ticket that was just outrageous. Super speeders is what they're calling them. You know, people who are just like right, running right. insane speeds in 
you know, like 105 and a 60, that kind of thing. And also, so, we saw fewer injuries in Virginia, but more fatalities, which kind of indicates to me, at least as a layman, that the crashes may have been uh, more severe. The average crash was more severe. Right. So speed and, certainly and contributed saw, to that. Yeah, and, and, and you saw during that time is a bit of a lax, uh, uh, a lax in the approach to road safety um, uh, um road safety efforts, which if that we were in a space where you and I was continually um, drilling the fact that, hey, don't do this, the awareness is being raised, uh, we went through that sort of, um, what do you call it, stalemate where uh, everyone was trying to figure out how to message during this entire period of time, during COVID. How do we keep the, 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 the keep hammering the nail around the fact that don't speed, wear your seatbelt, don't drive distracted, how we keep doing it. So there was a transition period where all of our, all of us as advocates had to make that transition uh, and how we think and talk about the work that we do during the COVID space. That's one lacking piece that the public did not get the information like they were supposed to, not, not like they were because there was a transition. Again, you didn't have is uh, possibly as heavy a police presence out there as they normally would. And so, you, you know, definitely people felt inclined to do things like, okay, no one is watching me. There's no accountability. Therefore, I can speed. No one is on the road. I can drive distracted. I don't need to wear my seatbelt, you know. Uh, so these things that came because of a lack of a lot of different factors that, 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 played, in, that played into the role of it at the end of the day. Well, the messaging at that time uh, was was kind of like, stay off the roads, don't travel, you know, stay at home in the, the early months of the COVID outbreak. So it was it was kind of an I felt like it was kind of an awkward situation to be giving driving safety advice when we were saying don't drive, you know, stay at home, stay off the roads. So it would it, you know it'd be kind of an awkward message like if you must travel. Uh, be sure to wear your seatbelt, don't speed, don't drive distracted. You you kind of had to caveat it by saying, if you absolutely positively have to drive, be sure to do these things so that you'll be safe. Right. Yeah, the messaging was uh, a little awkward at the time because, you know, you, you want to push a, a broad traffic safety message, but at the same time, you want to encourage people to not travel unless they absolutely have to. And that was the messaging as I recall it back then. Right. I mean, if you look at it, speed and related crashes in 2020 increased by 17% from 2019. A double digit increase is just, just crazy for one year. I think the, the COVID years are, are going to have an asterisk next to them forever. Uh, the years during COVID restrictions, because of the traffic safety numbers are just, they're just wacky, you know, compared to other years, you look, you can follow the trends and all that. And then you look at uh, the last two or three years, and the, the the numbers are just just goofy. But I think it's a, and maybe you'd agree that that is a small percentage of drivers that are out there taking those risks and maybe encouraged by lighter traffic volume to do so. I, I can somewhat agree with you, but at the same time, you know, with the increase of traffic on the road, that means you get the increase of a number of different things as well. Although it was low, you get the, the increase of 
more crashes at the same time you get the increase of yes there might be a little more accountability out there uh you get the increase of more distraction you get the you you, you get the increase one might increase in in one area you might get the increase now that we're back out um more socializing you might get the increase of impairment which would more drinking um alcohol related crashes etc so more more good news you know more more messaging to be done more uh more outreach and education. Oh, the out, outreach and education is always important. The advocacy around all of these pieces is always important. Um, you can never stop outreach and education. You can never stop advocacy because there's always someone needs to be persuaded. There's always someone that have not heard the message. There's always a group that we have not reached that we need to reach. There's always somebody that's not that's new. If you look at the dynamic of the world, uh, there's always, we are a country. I'm an immigrant to this country. I migrated here. There's always somebody migrating here that needs to learn about the, uh, the, the United States way of business and our traffic safety laws. There's always someone coming from another country that um, are under the auspices. I did it this way in my country, but then they still have to learn how to do it according to the American rules and and laws that are in place so they still have to learn traffic safety on this side on top of the volume of other other things that they have to learn and understand yeah and there's a new crop of drivers coming up every year you know i mean yeah just brand every day brand new drivers freshly hatched drivers (laughs) every year yeah you know that have to learn that that traffic safety message but overall i mean the work that the ntsb and other federal agencies have done uh, really has, and and the uh, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety also has had a terrific Im- uh, impact on safety in general, the infrastructure, the vehicles, uh, compared to where we were, say, back in the, the 50s and 60s. I'm sure you've been to the IIHS facility in Rutgersville. They've got two cars. One's like a 50, 58 Bel Air, and the other's another Chevrolet that was new at the time that they did. And they crashed the two head on into each other or slightly offset Mm -hmm. and the damage to the, Mm -hmm. the passenger compartment uh, of the old vehicle is just unsurvivable. I mean, you just take, take a peek inside and you go, there is no way anyone would have survived that crash. And then you look in the newer vehicle with the airbags and airbag curtains and everything. And the, uh, the passenger compartment was completely, unscathed. I mean, except for the airbags going off, you wouldn't have known by looking inside that it was involved in a crash. So those are tremendous improvements, even though the NTSB may be making rec- recommendations that are, here is what we should be doing. This this would have the optimum positive results, although we may not be getting there through legislation and policy. The improvements are are getting done eventually. I think the public demands it. To, to some degree. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, because that's why we're here. That's why the federal government, that's why we, we are here to serve. We are here to serve the American public. We are here here to make the roads safer, the sky safer, the uh, marine, um, the water safer, the pipeline safer. So that's our job. And and um, if we're not doing that, then we, we're doing something incorrect. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned pipelines a few times. I think a lot of folks are surprised that Pipeline safety falls under the NTSB, but that's a mean, that's a means of transportation and transporting yes, sometimes very volatile or hazardous materials in those pipelines. So safety is paramount with those. When it comes to um, 
traffic crashes. The NTSB doesn't investigate every traffic crash. What are the parameters for the NTSB to get involved in in a crash that that you would the agency would want to investigate a particular incident? Yeah, um, we we are very selective with with our crashes. Uh, in terms of highway, because we don't have the volume of investigators to send out to every crash. That crash has to have uh, one, a level of fatalities. Um, It has to have some kind of impact on the traveling public, a very large impact on the traveling public, where there's somewhat of a trend. There might be a trend that's occurring. For example, if we see that there's a trend of uh, school bus crashes, they might say, okay, we need to look into these series of crashes that, that's crashing around the country to learn more about them. There might be a, a uptick in um, teen driver safety crashes. Um, they might decide, okay, we need to look at this uptick and see why this is happening so that we can solve it for the, for the good of the traveling public and issue some recommendations. So then, I, I mean, those are basically the criteria. It has to have some kind of national impact. Um, it also has to, you, you have to have to see some kind of trend in along the lines of, um, is this happen, con- happening consistently and is it taking a lot of lives uh, as it relates to the particular issue or the particular concern? Uh, again, you know, my field of work is advocacy and it's always important, you know, for us when we, when we talk about the work, oftentimes in this work, we talk about problems. We talk about the problems that we are faced with. You know, but I, I am one to also point to solutions and the great work that that's being done around this country with all the advocates like yourself. Uh, Drive Smart Virginia, um, for example, you recently had a, a, a fantastic conference where you helped out with in, in Maryland. I'm a Marylander and I was glad to see uh, the collaboration there. So, you know, um, as they say, alone, uh, together, alone, we can do so little and together we can do so much. Uh, and TSB is, is only about 400 and something employees. And in order for us to do the work that we need to do, it has to be done collaboratively with third party advocates like yourself and like your organization is so important. Um, um, so I am really I really cherish the relationships that I've built or that we build with partners like yourself and others around the country that can help us to move the needle on on these um, on these issues. Uh, because if we can if we can join together as a force, think about what we can do. It may seem that we are not making progress, but we will. I was around in the early 1990s when you talk about seatbelt and saw how long it took it took to get this nation to really get on board with seatbelt. Now I know we said there's still a large, uh, about 20% of folks that don't, but think about where we have came when we first started to push and advocate for seatbelt laws in all the states, it was an uphill fight and an uphill battle. People pushed back against it from all sides, but we band together, we united, and we really moved the needle on that issue, as well as impairment, impaired driving, uh, drunk driving, and all of those issues. Um, I was reading a quote this morning that one of my staff sent to me by Margaret, Margaret Mead that said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is only the only thing that ever have. And I I love that quote. My staff says that it was all motivational Monday quote. And and surely we can think about the changes that we can make it, make if we continue to collaborate and work together. So I I love the collaboration 
with you and and and, and drive drive smart and all of the in, other entities around the country. So for you that are listening to this podcast, um, reach out to us. We would love to continue to work with you all uh, in some way, shape, or form to move the, move the needle on transportation safety. Nick, what's your contact info if if somebody would like to get in touch with you? Can you give yeah. us your email address? If you yeah, my my email. You can contact us at. Um, I will give you our safety advocacy email because then if I don't if I don't get it, it's uh, safety advocacy at NTSB um, dot gov. Okay. Safety advocacy um, at NTSB at NTSB dot gov. Got it. Safety advocacy at NTSB dot gov. That is that is correct. Safety advocacy at NTSB dot gov. Great. So in your 27 years at NTSB, what are the greatest improvements that you've seen in, tra- I guess we should stick with highway safety since that's that's what Drive Smart Virginia does, but what are, what are the, the best improvements and what what's the, like, something that you're still disappointed in that hasn't improved? You know, we oftentimes look at, as humans, at the 10% of what's not right mm-hmm. or what's incorrect. And we often overlook the 90% of what's correct and what's being done right. So, of course, there's a lot that needs to be done, and there's a great deal of work. Uh, I look at the body of work that we've done. Like, again, I mentioned seatbelts, and I mentioned uh, child passenger safety. Um, I can name a number of them, seatbelts, child passenger safety, um, the, the trunk driving and impaired driving laws that's been on the books, the work that we have done on graduated driver's license and teen driver safety improvement in that capacity. So there, there's a lot of them that I've seen a great deal of work uh, have been done on. I mean, you look at things that have been done in the aviation community, the aviation community, now one of the safest commercial aviation side of things. Uh, when I first started at NTSB, um, you were seeing accidents, uh, crashes uh, quite often. I can name quite a few. I can I go all the way back to flight 427 that crashed in Pittsburgh. I was around for uh, Value Jet, um, Alaska Air, and TWA 800, mm-hmm. um, Egypt Air, um, you know. So it, these are large commercial uh, crashes, accidents that happen, and that was happening quite often, not only in the U.S., but in the world. So if you look at the work that have been done, knock on wood, in the aviation community, it's been a very tremendous improvement um, and I don't work in the aviation side. I'm not an expert in aviation, but the advocacy work that was done there by the aviation community is is really uh, you can you can say it was really a job well done because you know hardly you see very slim to none any uh, commercial aviation crashes today. So um, work is constantly being done, and that's why the work has to be continued. That's why advocacy is so important because. Uh, you have to go into a proactive mindset of preventing. We don't want any lives to be lost at all. Our goal is zero. So to make zero, to get to zero, you have to also go, you have to go into the mindset of preventive, preventive. Do not wait for things happen to then start to act. You have to act now to prevent it from happening so that um, that life or that, that loss that family don't have to come grief to you or someone else about the loss that they're feeling as a result to a crash in any mode of transportation. In in these times of, you know, social media, it's important to get the facts out there. And 
the NTSB does such thorough investigations that it doesn't leave a lot of room for, you know, the fantasy land stuff that tends to pop up on social media when there has been uh, an incident. But the investigation is very important because there's so many, uh, you know, opinions and. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a whole process that I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a, there's a whole investigative process that we go through from the preliminary stages of the investigation uh, to the fact finding stage um to the um to the conclusion to the conclusive stage where you issue the recommendation so that's why you know oftentimes folks say why do you take uh almost a year to complete a crash investigation because we often sign time said to them we're very thorough in the work that we do well nick i appreciate the time you've you know spent with us um nick worrell is chief of the office of safety advocacy for the national transportation safety board uh, in Washington, D.C., a federal agency, of course, and they investigate serious transportation-related incidents and issue reports and recommendations uh, that hopefully those concerned, whether it's businesses or government entities or agencies, uh, would hopefully follow and adopt to save lives. That's what that's what the NTSB does, try to save lives, right, Nick? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's our mission. Nick, what, what's your uh, email ad- the email address again for folks who want to get in touch or yep. have a question? Safety advocacy. Yep, safety advocacy at ntsb.gov. You can also follow us on Twitter at NTSB. You can follow us on Instagram or you can follow us on LinkedIn. We're on all those platforms, Facebook as well. So feel free to follow us. But you can also email um, myself or anyone from my team at safety advocacy at ntsb.gov. Terrific. Nick, thanks for being our guest. Thank you for having me, Rich. I really appreciate this. That wraps up this installment of The Road We Travel, a production of Drive Smart Virginia. My thanks to our guest from the NTSB, Nick Worrell. And, of course, be sure to join us for the ninth annual Distracted Driving Summit. That's coming up August 18th through 19th, 2022 at Hilton's new The Main in Norfolk. That's the ninth annual Distracted Driving Summit August 18th through 19th at Hilton's The Main in Norfolk. You can get all the information at our website, drivesmartva.org. And follow us on uh, social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, drivesmartva.org.